God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you for the love that you pour out to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, there's, there's a lot of things that um, we can be doing. There's a lot of things we should be doing, Lord. But I thank you that even in our weakness, even in our, our lack of motivation, there's still your grace upon us. And Lord, I pray that that grace would draw us deeper into a relationship with you and a relationship with others. And so, Lord, um, I'm asking that the words of my mouth this morning, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to go through a lot of verses. I know that that's not something I normally do, but I figure I'd throw you a curveball and there will be a test next week. Your goal is to memorize at least one of them, one of the verses, which means you might have to write one down. Don't call me during the week and ask me, what was that verse? So we're going to go through a lot of them today. And last week, we spent some time looking in uh, chapter 3 of Colossians, and Paul is listing all of these behaviors that we should be doing, right, are things that we should be putting to death things that we should be getting rid of, things that we're supposed to be putting on as we live our lives. And, and basically what he's telling us, he's telling us this. If, if you're a Christian, then this is what it should look like. If you're a follower of Jesus, then this is what it should look like. He's telling us to become what we already are in Jesus Christ. And so, because we know this because he starts the beginning of chapter 3. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, then put your, focus your heart, focus your mind on things above. And then he goes through all of these different things. Check them out. He says things like this. Um, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. And then he goes on to say, uh, rid yourselves of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Yet some of you potty mouths, filthy language from your lips. And then he goes on to say, these are the things you're supposed to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive each other, bind this all up in love. So he says, this is who you are in Christ, and this is who you should be becoming. But, you know, I'm going to be honest, and I know, again, we, we've talked about this before, we really don't, we're, we're, we're nervous and, and we're kind of uneasy with honesty in church, but I'm going to be honest with you anyway, and sometimes... Sometimes I engage in those negative behaviors more than I'd actually like to. And other times, I don't do the things I should be doing as much as I want to. I have this tension that lives in me. The Bible says it's my old nature and the new nature. And Paul would even write the same things in Romans 7. He'd say, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And so when I do... Right. You know what I mean. And so and, and, and so in my faith journey, sometimes it gets very frustrating for me because I feel like I'm just con constantly ebbing and flowing back and forth. I got two steps forward or one step forward and then two steps back. And it just I, I want real victory in my life. And sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's there. And so we said, well, what's what's a person to do? How do we engage these things that Paul lists out for us? 
We're supposed to put to death some big things. We're supposed to rid ourselves from some other things. And then we're supposed to take up, you know, kindness and compassion and patience, which we could say are the fruit of the Spirit. We're supposed to put on those things. What are we to do to get there, to make lasting change in our lives? And so we wrestled with this idea of surrender. That we would surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. That we would surrender ourselves to the grace of God. And in that surrender is grace. And then every step toward God, even if it's a little step, he rejoices in that moment. And for every failure, every time you fall and make a mistake, there's God's grace through Jesus Christ to cover those things. You see, grace is always about Jesus, and it's never about us. We said that a Christian that is, that is surrendering their life to God, a Christian that is surrendering their life to God runs to him when they fall and when they fail. Instead of running away from him in guilt and shame. Because we said that where there's surrender to the Holy Spirit, there is the grace of God. And where there is the grace of God, guilt and shame has no place. Guilt and shame has no place in God's grace. But grace is never licensed to be callous to the things of God. Grace is never this, this eh, whatever attitude. This is just who I am, so get over it. That's not grace. Grace is this thing that, that pulls us deeper and deeper into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It continually deepens our, our pull toward him and in him. And it's life-changing. And then I got to thinking last week, we're talking about this idea of surrender. You know, when I, was, when I was a new Christian, people always tell you, you know, you have to surrender these things over to Jesus. I have no idea what they meant. Like, what does surrender mean? How do I surrender? What does surrender look like? I mean, is it just I give up? And I, I think that's part of it. But, but, but what does it look like in the life of a Jesus follower? And so I kind of looked over the text last week and I said, well, I'm seeing some things in a, in a part of the text we looked at last week that could actually shed some light on what it looks like. What enables us to surrender our lives to Jesus? How, as a Christian, we can do it? And so that's where I kind of want to go this week. And so we're going to go to Colossians 3. Verses 12 through 17. And I'm just going to read it from my Bible so I don't get a stiff neck. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
And so I, I think as, as we look through these things, as we look through this text, there are things in there that we can draw out that can, that can show us, that can, in, that can teach us how we're enabled to surrender to God. Things that, we, things that, that um, show us what surrender actually looks like in the life of a Christian. And so the first thing that I think we have to look at is verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, holiness is this idea of being separate. So because of Jesus, we have been separated from the rest of the world, from those people who don't follow Jesus. All right. And, but that's not the point that I want us to really focus on. Those two words, dearly loved. Therefore, as God's chosen people, dearly loved. Love. Do you realize that you are dearly loved by God? As a follower of Jesus, God loves the whole world, but even more so, as a follower of Christ, you are dearly loved by God. Check this out, Romans. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face all day, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand what this is saying? God has given us Jesus Christ to show his love to us. And it's not some emotional reaction from God. It's not like because he felt bad for us. It is, it is his perfect love poured out in its fullness to the world, to people. Jesus Christ is the love of God. And what I find interesting is the way Paul starts this whole thing out is you are loved by God, but that doesn't mean that you're going to just skate through life and not have any trouble at all and things are just going to be peachy keen. No, that's not the way life is. Even though you are loved by God, that things are going to happen and things you're going to struggle through some things. It's just the way life is. And these aren't some philosophical ideas that Paul throws out there. Things like he says, shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Sword. <laughs> sword. These are all things that Paul has experienced in his life. He has gone through those things. He understands what it's like to be hungry. Hardship. He was beaten. They threw rocks at him. He had to get, he had to, they had to sneak him out of a city once, lower him down through the wall because people wanted to kill him. And then he goes on to say nothing. And he uses some big high-level words, death, life, angels, demons. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You have to understand this. You have to get a hold of this. This is foundational because you will never... You will never be able to surrender your life to God if you don't understand, if you don't engage how much you are loved. 
I would even say this, that your living a victorious journey in your faith walk is directly related to how much you understand that God loves you. It's directly related to how much God loves you and loves you in the right now. Not the future, all cleaned up, better and, and better behaving person somewhere down the road. Right now, in all your messiness, in all of your brokenness, in all of your, your dysfunctional whatever you got going on, you are dearly loved right in this very moment. And see, if you don't understand this, when you fail, when you fall, when you sin, you are going to run away from God. And not to him. And you're going to run away. And you're going to try to clean yourself up. And then you're going to try to crawl yourself back. And it doesn't work. In our sin, we're to run to him. And not away from him. Because you are loved. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. For the joy set before him. And the hymn is Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Look at me. You are his joy. And the joy set before him, he has endured the cross. For us, we've been reconciled back to the Father. In right relationship, in good standing, we have to... To get this, we don't surrender out of fear. We don't surrender because we've been defeated or pressured or crushed. We surrender to God because we are loved beyond anything that we can imagine or fully understand. God loves us and gave his son for us. The son comes to earth, born of a virgin, comes into this life in, in, in meager means, in a stable. It lives this life. It starts this ministry. And then as he gets to the end of the ministry, his best friend, one of his best friends, one of his boys, one of the twelve, betrays him with a kiss, an ultimate insult to love and friendship, kisses the Messiah as a sign to be arrested. And Jesus is arrested and he's taken and he's tried numerous times and he's beaten and he's mocked and he's whipped. He's whipped so there's chunks of skin getting torn off his body. He's beaten so severely, so severely that he can't even carry the cross when it's time. They got to grab some dude out of the crowd and put the cross on him and help Jesus carry the cross. And he walks to the hill of Calvary. With that cross to be crucified as the lowest of low criminals. Not even a Roman citizen could be crucified. It was too, too, it was the lowest form of punishment there was. Slaves were crucified. The scumbags of the world were crucified. And Jesus endured that for the joy set before him. And on the cross, as he hung there, with a, with a crown of thorns pressed down onto his head. Just another insult to this idea that he is king. His hands nailed to the boards. His feet nailed to the cross. Trying to hold himself up. Drowning in his own fluid. At one point he would yell out, my God... My God, why have you forsaken me? 
And the weight of the world, the weight of the sin from the world is crushing upon him. He still looks out. And he says, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. And one, after hours of suffering, with one last breath, and one ultimate word of faith, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Son of God dies as a common criminal. Even during his time of suffering on the cross, people still insulted him and mocked him. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. You are his joy. And I can imagine on that moment, as he was on that cross, he knew in that moment that thousands of years into, into the future, I was going to be born. And for the first 30 years of my life, he knew that I would, I would literally be a God-hater. And my, my life would be marked with sin and all kinds of yuck. And, but in a single moment, by the grace of God, I responded to the grace of God, and I was saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that would, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's our story. Because on that cross, not only did he know that I would be born, but every one of you. And that grace was poured out for every one of us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knows you are broken right now. He knows that you are going to fail. He knows that you are far from perfect. He knows not only you're going to stumble, but you're going to fall. And some of you are going to fall hard. He knows it. But because, because of the cross, because of the love of God in Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing will separate us from that love. Nothing, whether it's life, death, angels, demons, in the present, in the future, nothing separates us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. It is the simplest message in the entire Bible. God loves you. I mean, you can't get more simple than that. But yet so many people, so many people still walk around in this, this defeated shallowness of that understanding. Colossians 3.13 says this. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You know, as I read these few verses, I notice a couple things. It says, bear with each other, forgive one another. Verse 15, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. 
And then verse 16, it says, teach and admonish one another. This is, these things take place in the context of community. These things take place in the context of a faith community. We are called to journey together in our faith as a community of believers. We're not meant to go it alone. There's things that we're called to do as a community. Look what it says here in Acts. Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as many wonders and signs, as many, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to, one, to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here is another example of what it looks like to live in the context of community. It's the people of God that God has called mingling together with one another. It's not just an occasional once-a-week get-together. This is about people doing life together. And all of the ugly, and all of the hard, and all of the bad, but yet in all of the beautiful, we are called to do life together. Needs are being met. And you know what that means? People aren't afraid to tell other people that they are in need. They're, 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 being, um, they're being transparent to each other. Nobody is embarrassed that they're in need and those needs are being met and people are growing in their faith and they're meeting together in a large community and then they're headed to people's, through each other's houses to have a barbecue. They're meeting in each other's homes. They're getting together. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of unity and togetherness, serving one another. And what's it say at the bottom? And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I just wrote a book on church growth. You open it up and it says, live as a Jesus community and God will grow the church. It's a simple book, but please go out and buy it because my, my retirement depends upon it. It's that simple that we would live as a community and God adds to the numbers those who are being saved. But yet, see, it doesn't just end there. It goes even deeper. Okay, I'm glad you want to know. Here we go. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine. I love that line. <clears throat> but to teach what is good. They can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that... Did, did, you, did, you, did you just feel the shift in the force? Listen, don't, don't kill the messenger. I'm just reading you the Bible, all right? To be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similar, sim, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. What I want to focus on in this is not the whole subject thing. Um, what I'd like to focus on this is... 
you ever notice in church we kind of like segregate? Like we have stuff for the kids, and we have stuff for the young adults, and we have stuff for the, the, the families, and then we have stuff for the older generation, which I think sometimes is okay. Sometimes it is, it's appropriate to, to kind of work through those, those ideas a little bit. But I believe that in, in church in general, we segregate people way too much. We keep the young with the young, we keep the old with the old, and the young people think that the older people are out of touch, and the older people believe that youth is wasted on the young, which I totally agree with, so I must be moving now into the older realm. I, I totally get that. And, and, but but, but here, here's, here's what, what I see here. There's a mingling of generations. There's a mingling of people in the church, old and young, mingling together. Older men have, the, have a responsibility for the younger men. And they also have a responsibility for the way they live their own lives before those younger men. And the older women have a responsibility to the younger women. And a responsibility for the way they too live their lives before those younger women. And young people, you just need to get with the old people because they're not as dumb as you think. And, and, and for the older generation, lighten up. Because you know what? People look down their noses at you too when you were young for your hairstyle, for your type of music, for the things you said and the, and, and the things that you'd like to do. This is a mingling of the generations. This is, this is what community looks like. And so maybe you want, okay, what's surrender look like? Surrender first and foremost is knowing Knowing, knowing, knowing that you are dearly loved by God. And then it continues by allowing yourself. Allowing yourself to get to know people. And allowing yourself to be known by people. In the context of a community of faith. And you see when you begin to surrender in those ways. The fear of truly being known within a community, that fear begins to diminish because, because everyone is doing it. Everyone is submitting to God. Everyone is surrendering to God. See, our faith journey is deeply, deeply personal. I get it. But it was never, ever meant to be lived in private. All right, last one. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And I wrestled with this a little bit, because I wrestled with that phrase, the message of Christ, and let it dwell among you richly. And, uh, you know, you read the Gospels, you know, you read those red letters, and, and the words of Jesus are so profound and deep and many, and they're just textured with so much meaning. And I thought, man, what, what the... the the, the message of Christ, the message of Christ. So I got to thinking that in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus starts his ministry career with, with a very simple message. He, he would say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is is at hand for the kingdom of God is near repent turn from the old way of doing life turn from your old habits turn from your old way of relating to who God is 
Because the kingdom of God is near. And see, in us, there is always something that we have to be surrendering to. There's always something in us that we need repentance of. There's always somewhere in our lives that God needs to get in there and he needs to to prune it, to heal it, to transform it, to change it. There's always something in us, always something in us that requires the hard work of the soul. And just as you get just as you get through one, there's always another one there. You'll never get done. That's both good news and maybe not such good news. There's always something for us to repent of, to bring ourselves in openness and honesty and humility before the Lord and say, God, I, I don't want this anymore. But I can't do anything to fix it. I need you maybe maybe even pray pray this prayer and i'm gonna ask tara to come up did she just leave no maybe we pray this prayer search me god know my heart test me know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting It's a horrifying prayer. Horrifying. I don't want him to show me any of that. It's better if it just stays where nobody can see it. Unfortunately, it never stays where anybody doesn't see it. But even as you pray that prayer, God will show you, and even in his showing you, it is his grace. It is his grace. And so this morning, we, we come to this table. And it's the symbol of the love of God in Jesus Christ. It's the symbol of his body broken and his blood poured out. For the joy set before him, he endured cross we come to this table this morning as as a community we come together in need of each other doing life together with each other and that we would love each other as christ has loved us and serve us tara would you play piano for us this morning as we come to communion And we come to this table, I believe, is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. Examining ourselves before the Lord, before we eat the bread and drink the cup. In humble repentance. In humble surrender of the hearts that we would come before him. Do me a favor. Don't rush this morning. Some of you, some of you got some stuff going on, and, and, and I know that that you should be repenting before the Lord. And see, that's a good thing because He's shown you. <laughs> that's His grace. Some of you just need to let that God loves you soak in just, just a little bit more this morning. Loves you like right now, loves you. In brokenness 
dysfunction, hurt, pain, guilt, whatever. He loves you right now. And we're here together as a community. Take your time. The cross is open. We're not in a rush. And when everybody's taken the cup and the, the bread, and everybody's done doing whatever they have to do, we'll take communion together. My prayer is that as we leave here today, that by the grace of God, we'd be drawn deeper into the understanding of who we are in Christ. Beloved, forgiven, reconciled. The mercy has been poured out upon us. And by grace, we walk in victory. I pray this morning as you leave this place, you will understand the sacrifice that's been made for you because of how much you are loved. I pray that as you leave this place, you might look with fresh eyes on what it means to live in the context of community, of faith community. And I pray that you and the Holy Spirit would get to work on the inside and allow the Lord to reveal those things in you that he wants to just take away and allow you to take one step closer to him. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Peace.